in accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. That I wanted it to be in a place that could blend with a work-life balance. And I know that's kind of a trite fit phrase. Balance is one of our core values as a firm. And balance doesn't always mean equal. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Carrie Bradshaw, the founder of C.D. Bradshaw and Associates in Georgetown, Texas. We've had some great guests from the Georgetown and Austin area in the past, and Carrie is definitely no different in that respect. As you're going to hear in the interview, Carrie shares with us her story of getting interested in accounting practically by accident to moving up within a very established firm to branching out and starting her own practice just a few years back. I really think the most valuable piece of this interview is the discussion of what work-life balance really means at a much deeper level than we generally think about. Carrie has put much thought into how the concept of balance truly should work and how to be more practical about it than just adding up where you spend your hours. I think everyone, including those listeners, even with many more years of experience in the field, are going to benefit from this one. Carrie has some really valuable insight on the subject for sure. If you do find this episode has been valuable to you, please check us out online. You can find us at whereaccountantsgo.com. We have all kinds of written and audio materials for your accounting career there. We have books, we have blogs, we have a few new tools we're working on, and of course, all the other podcast episodes as well. Once again, you can find that at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. I think you're really going to enjoy this discussion with Carrie. I learned a lot myself, and I'm sure you will as well. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Carrie Bradshaw of C.D. Bradshaw and Associates. Well, hello, Carrie. Thank you for making the time for us today. Hello, Mark. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. No problem. Well, for our audience, we have Carrie Bradshaw, the founder of C.D. Bradshaw and Associates in Georgetown, Texas, on the line today. I had noticed some of their company's social media efforts not long ago, and it just sort of got me curious about Carrie's company. And so I reached out to Carrie to see if she'd be willing to share the story of her career journey with us. And she very graciously accepted, obviously. Carrie, I want to leave this to you to get into more detail later, but one of the items that really piqued my interest was the goal of making the profession better for young professionals. And I think that's a very important discussion to have. And so I'm really looking forward as we get deeper into the podcast to get into that. Before we get into that, though, and what's going on with C.D. Bradshaw currently, I wanted to start at the beginning so everyone you know, gets an idea of where you came from. What initially led you to pursue accounting as a you know, possible career choice in the first place? Well, Mark, it's kind of interesting. I stumbled onto accounting really by accident. 
if you asked my parents from the day that I was old enough to think about a career, what I wanted to be, they would tell you I wanted to be a district attorney. I wanted to do that my entire life from the age of five until I became a senior in high school. Everything I did was kind of focused on that being my profession. Well, my senior year in high school, I, being a typical senior in high school, wanted a blow-off class, and everybody knew that Mrs. Horton was an easy A, and the class she taught that fit my schedule was accounting. And so I took Mrs. Horton's accounting class, and from the first day of that class, I just fell in love with accounting. I loved the predictability of accounting. I loved the puzzle that was accounting. I loved the logic. I just enjoyed everything about accounting, and it was just so natural for me. And I went through the UIL system in the Texas schools and actually went all the way to the state competition for UIL. And it was just so natural for me, and I just fell into that, and that kind of just changed the entire trajectory of my life. I made the decision that accounting was going to be my thing from then on. And so when I went to school, that's what I did. I studied accounting and have never looked back and have really been grateful for that kind of happy accident that happened in my life when I was 17. Wow, you are one tough lady. You wanted to be a PA (laughs) from age five. Yes, because I was going to put away all the bad guys. That was kind of my, I just was on fire about social justice. (laughs) Wow. And then you took accounting because you thought, eh, it's easy. This will be easy. I'll just, I'll take accounting. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yes. Now, little did I know how much of a challenge that was going to be. And I still felt that opportunity to serve in a social justice capacity, because then as I learned more about what a public accountant does and that our role really is protecting the public, that kind of then fed that fire that I had about serving. Okay. Okay. I have to ask this because I've had a couple other guests in the last dozen or so episodes mention UIL competitions, but you said state, so you won a few. I did. Oh, wow. Okay. Tough, very tough. <laughs> I'm sorry to get hung up on that, but I'm impressed, frankly. I, I <laughs> well, I'm a person who I believe if you're going to play the game, you need to play to win. So if you're going to do it, do it all out. And so go. that just kind of took my accounting career as well. Wow. And then I kind of paid that forward. And when I took the CPA exam, again, I took that as a challenge and I passed the CPA exam um, in my first sitting, all four parts. And that was back in the day when you actually took it all in one sitting. And I passed all four parts when my son was three weeks old. And I kind of took that as confirmation that I had made the right choice and I was going in the right direction. Wow. Wow. That's big. You are very driven for sure. <laughs> wow. I've been told that before. I did want to talk about your college experience a little bit because in the pre-show conversation, I haven't had this come up very much until just recently, but you mentioned taking the community college route initially, right? I did take some classes. I did start out at a four-year university and then took a break after I married, but I hadn't quite finished my degree. And during the break between four-year universities, I did go to a community college. Okay, okay. I had misunderstood a little bit. I was thinking that you had started out that way and then sort of a two plus two kind of program, but okay. I really, the reason I took that community college route during that period of time was I was working and paying my way through school. 
And so I was completely, what wasn't paid for with a scholarship, then I had to take care of. And the community college route really made sense from an economical standpoint. I could spend a little less for those hours that weren't necessarily part of my degree program. And what I really found from that was the community college education is so practical and so useful. And I was really glad that my path led me to that community college because I took a psychology class and some history classes and had some really great people who taught those classes. They were mostly people who were working during the day and they were teaching classes at night. And they were working in that profession that they were teaching and just had some really great stories in the class that really made the classroom learning very applicable to life. And I would, if I had it to do again, I probably would go my first two full years to a community college. It's what I've encouraged my children to do. Okay. For the practicality standpoint. Well, mm-hmm. and financial, I guess. Okay. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So what was your first professional job in accounting or internship, I guess? How did your career get started? Well, I did work as an intern for Shannon and Associates, a firm that's in Camp Washington. My husband was in the military at the time and he was stationed at Fort Lewis. So when I graduated, stayed home with my son for about a year and then I went to do this internship for them. And it was purely a tax internship. But some really great opportunities that I received in that internship, they had just converted all of their software from a DOS base. Now I'm aging myself from a DOS-based to a Windows-based program. And as an intern, I had more of a natural inclination for the Windows programs than some of the established. And it gave me a chance to help. And that just, I really felt like I wasn't going to have anything to offer when I came there as an intern, but I did. There was something that I could help with and that I could add value by. I became the intern that everybody came to ask questions about how to do something in the new tax software which was just kind of fun to feel like I wasn't a burden to others that I was I had an opportunity to help. So that was my internship. And then when my husband got out of the Army, we came back to Texas. And we're both born and raised in Texas and wanted to be here. And I convinced him that Central Texas was a great place to go because I had started my education at St. Edwards here and just love the Austin area. And when we came through my hometown, so this is another accidental thing that happened that just changed the trajectory of my career as well. When we came home, we came through my hometown, which is Hereford, Texas, real close to Amarillo in the panhandle of Texas. I was visiting with my aunt and was telling her that I was going to come down here and get a job in public accounting while my husband was going to nursing school. And Brown Graham and Company has an office in my hometown, but they also had an office in Georgetown. And she said, oh, you need to go interview with Brown Graham and Company. And the panhandle of Texas is a lot of agribusiness. And all I could think was, Aunt Joe, I am not counting cows for a living. I grew up right here in the middle of all these feed yards. I just, I have no interest because that's all I could ever think of that firm being was being very ag business centered. And she said, well, just go talk to the partner. Her name was Donna West. She said, just go talk to Donna in Hereford and, and just see what you can see. And so just to get my aunt to get off my back, I did. So I went and talked to Donna and she said, well, we do have an office in Central Texas, but if they're not hiring anybody, then they're not going to talk to you because they're not going to interview you just for the sake of interviewing you. Come to find out they were interviewing. So I came down here. My goal was Cooper Libran. 
because that was the cool firm whenever I graduated. They didn't make you wear suits. And so back in the early 90s, that was a big deal because nobody was doing that. Everybody was making you be really formal and dressed up. So I came down and went to the interview with Brown Grumman Company fully with the intent of it being my practice interview. I did all of the things that you're not supposed to do when you go into an interview. I didn't research the firm because I didn't feel like I had to. I knew those guys. I had known that firm growing up. And really just kind of was expecting that to be the interview that kind of got rid of my nerves for me to go do the real interviews. Well, I sat down with Jim Albers and Johnny Lacey and spent almost two hours with them. And when I left that interview, I thought, this is the place I need to be. And as a young lady who's going to be the sole breadwinner in my family, because my husband was going to school with a one-year-old son, when I sat down to an interview with them and they said, as far as we're concerned, your number one priority is your family, your number two priority is your church, and we're next. And they lived that. And I just thought, you know, because all of the things that you heard about the profession at that time is when you first came out of school, you were going to work 80 hours weeks and you were going to be traveling 90% of the time. And it was really, really intense at that time. And I just thought I didn't know. I knew I had a passion for being in public accounting, but I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make that work with having a young family. And Brown Grandma Company gave me the perfect opportunity to blend those two things. So again, another happy accident, you know, even falling into accounting was kind of a happy accident as a senior in high school. And then coming to a firm that shared my values was another happy accident that was really just a blessing to myself and my family and my career. Wow. That was just meant to be. (laughs) It was. It was. Did you start out in audit or tax or was there a mix? I'm just asking because you mentioned travel. So it made me think of that. At that time, they didn't hire associates for a specific discipline. Okay. They, we were at that point, and the profession was kind of that way at that time as well. You were really a generalist if you were at a firm that provided full services. So I got an amazing opportunity to be able to audit financial statements. I had four or five bookkeeping clients that I was responsible for everything from inputting the checks to closing the financial statements to preparing the tax returns, doing live payrolls. So we really had a great opportunity to get a little bit of everything. I did early in my career show a stronger aptitude for the auditing. So as I my career progressed and the profession went more to specialization because you just couldn't keep up with all the rules and all the different areas and do it well, I began to become more of an auditor. Okay. Now, you were Graham and Graham for a long time. About how long? I was there for 20 years. I was a partner for 13. Okay. Okay. Kick us through, I guess, some of the high points. I mean, what do you feel made a difference for you in why it was such a good fit for such a long time and in your ability to move up during that time? I was very fortunate early in my career that one of the partners took me under his wing. Johnny Lacey was my mentor. He really made sure that I got opportunity. I mean, I think the word that kind of is used in the profession now is a sponsor. He really sponsored me and made sure that I had opportunities to do different types of work and work in different industries. And he did that because he saw that I had a passion for it and that he was going to get a return on that investment of time that he spent with me. And he really did invest that time in helping me get opportunities taking me 
along with him. I got to go on client meetings with him almost from day one, which was unheard of at that point in time that you would take a young associate with you on sales calls or take a young associate with you on initial engagements. It was really just, he gave me opportunity. And I rose to the challenge. I never was afraid to say, hey, I'll be doing more or can I take that assignment? Or I very distinctly remember the first time he let me go on an audit by myself. And I was, he sent me to San Antonio and let me get started on an audit. And when he showed up halfway through the first day, I think he had a half expectation that I was going to be kind of waiting for him to get there. And I had already gotten started. I had pulled invoices. I had started on the files. I had everything set up. And from that moment, he really pushed for me to get more and more opportunities. I'm not sure how else to say that. That's, he was so instrumental. And I think because I picked the right culture for myself, one that was comfortable. There was a lot of panhandle roots with the people who were in that firm. The partners believed in me. I worked every day to prove myself worthy of that trust. I didn't, I think something that I probably did that helped with that was I never waited for somebody to give me permission to take initiative. I was always present. I was ready. I was thinking of the next step before they asked me what I needed to do next and just being very proactive and kind of managing my own career and not waiting for somebody to do that for me. And somebody saw that. And so they did react by helping me. Hmm. Wow. You had a good mentor and then you took advantage of the opportunity. Absolutely. It's it's amazing how often it just comes down to hard work. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yes. 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 I was just summarizing all that, putting it together. She worked hard. Yes. And it was recognized. <laughs> so you were partnered there for 13 years. Yes. And you, not too long ago, started your own firm. When was that? January 1 of 2017. All right. <laughs> so, well, coming up on your second anniversary. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, we are. What was the, I guess, the thought process like? And what was the time leading up to that decision when you decided to start C.D. Bradshaw and Associates? I think the seed was really planted for me. And first of all, I want to say there's no hard feelings between myself and Brown Grumman Company. I value every opportunity that they gave me, and I have nothing but complete respect for that organization. I'm proud to have been part of that. There was a meeting that was held, and one of the things that was said to me was that I was difficult to deal with because I asked too many questions. And that kind of lit a fire for me, and I felt led down a path that I wanted to create a better experience for the next generation of my team. I wanted a place where there is no such thing as asking too many questions. And then I kind of looked to the larger profession, and I said, you know, we're accountants, and naturally, we're inclined to do what we did last year because that's what we do. We're predictable. And we like for the world to stay the same. Well, it's not staying the same. And I could see myself as a, in my mid-40s, thinking, is this profession really the place for me? It's hard work. It's long hours, sometimes thankless work, because nobody gets excited when they come in your office and you tell them, what their tax bill is going to be. And it's always your fault. They always shoot the messenger. (laughs) And that's a hard 
that's a hard life sometimes. And so I really had a self-exploration of, do I even want to stay in public accounting? Is this really what I want for my life? And I realized it is. I realized it is. I just realized there was a different way to do it. And I wanted to combine this great experience that I had with a group of people who believed in me and gave me opportunities. I wanted to take that and continue that, to do that for the next generation of CPAs. But I wanted it to be in a place that could blend with a work-life balance. And I know that's kind of a trite fit phrase. Balance is one of our core values as a firm. And balance doesn't always mean equal. Sometimes balance is you do what needs to be done that day so that the next day you can do what needs to be done that day. And they're not always the same thing. I think we have this misconception about balance having to be that I spend the exact same number of hours in everything that I do. And I think it's more about your passion for that day is balanced in what you're doing. And I thought somebody has to be the first person who says, we can do this different. We are really smart people and we can do this different. It really, that sounds like it was very simple, but it was really three years of praying about this and talking with my husband and knowing it was going to be hard work. There was fear involved walking away from what I had known really my entire adult life and being willing to do that. But I think it was just that was laid on my heart for a reason and that it was time to step out in faith. I was the right age to do it. I had enough experience that I wasn't making a decision that I couldn't do in an informed way, but I'm also young enough that I have enough runway to get through the hard work to really get to where the return on that investment would be. I talked to my managers in my office and uh, the Georgetown office of Brown Grumman Company, and I said, hey, what do you guys think? And they said, that sounds really cool. I think we can make a difference. I think we can care for our clients differently. We can care for the next generation of the profession differently and save our profession. And that sounds very grandiose, but at some point in time, the way we've always done it as a profession, it's going to die because nobody's going to continue to work like that. And we have to come up with a better way to do it. It was kind of cool when I talked to my team in Georgetown and told them what I was thinking about doing. And I said, you know, you guys have every option in the world. You can continue to work for Brown Grammar Company. They have an Austin office. You're all amazing people. You could go to work anywhere else for any other CPA. They'd be happy to take you. Or you guys can come with me and let's forge a dream and let's put this vision together and do this. And it was unanimous. There wasn't a single person who said, I think you're crazy. They may have thought it, Mark, but they didn't say it. So (laughs) we had lots of affirmations through that process. We kept 98% of our clients were retained in that process. I think part of that is because we did it right. We bought the practice from Brown Grammar Company. We bought the book of business. We could have just walked out and kept those relationships, but that wasn't the right way to do it. And that wasn't how I was raised. I I was raised by Brown Graham Company to do things right, and I was going to do this right as well. Wonderful. How many employees do you have now? 20. How do you look across your team and tell if there's balance? What do you look for as evidence that, yes, we're achieving what we want to achieve in the balance area? Or, hmm. You know, this month we didn't do as well. Is there anything you, any indicators? Their eyes. I look in their eyes. Are their eyes bright and shining? Does that mean that they're feeling invigorated with what they're doing today? Do they look tired? If they look tired, then we're probably out of balance. Even you can work 
a 50 or 60 hour week and not be tired and be invigorated because you feel so passionate about what you're doing. So that's not about time. That's about balance of how you're spending your energy and are you spending it in a way that makes you feel good? And that's how I see it. I see it in their eyes. I see it in the laughter in the lunchroom. When the office gets really quiet, I know it's time to make an adjustment. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, because you're right. That term gets thrown around a lot and everybody means something different. Yes, it does. <laughs> you said the new terms are even coming out now, but I, yeah, just I think we're all trying to figure out what exactly that means. And I agree with you. You know, if you're enjoying what you're doing and you're passionate about it and you can put in some extra effort and if you're enjoying it, it's you, know, you can't ignore the other parts of your life, you know, but mm-hmm. it doesn't just mean 40 hours necessarily, you know. Right, right. Um, sometimes it means 60 and sometimes it means 30. Exactly, exactly. It's what's appropriate at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us about your business now. You know, what does it look like? What's your core business? What are y'all strengths? And what's your vision look like? Because it's only been two years, so you've still got some dreams here, I'm sure. What's the oh. future look like? Absolutely. We, um, <laughs> my staff would tell you, I can't believe you asked her that question, or do you have two days? Because this is going to be a conversation. So what we look like today, we have a strong tax practice that has been historically predominantly compliance-based and is moving more towards a proactive planning advisory. So we have spent this year Probably, I haven't run the numbers, but I would say probably 30% more time in conversation with our clients about what they can do to affect their own bottom line and what they can do to plan better for taxes. The last six weeks, we have done nothing but meet with clients and talk about tax reform and how this is going to improve their life. And we're able to spend a lot more time in conversation with our client than in preparation of returns for our client. And that was always part of our dream was that we were going to be empowering our clients and serving our clients, not just getting the return right. We felt like that's kind of a minimum expectation. You hire a CPA firm, you expect it to be right. But the next level of, okay, now what? So that's a piece of it. We still have our audit practice. So we have predominantly construction contractors. We do a lot of reviews and compilations and a handful of audits for that industry and employee benefit plans. And we do a significant number of employee benefit plan audits. So that's kind of our attest practice. Our baby right now that we're now, I think, is now a toddler. We're very excited about that is our business advisory services. So we saw a real need in the marketplace for the small to mid-level business owner who really is not of a size where they can't afford or really where it makes economic sense for them to have a full-time CPA on staff. But they're big enough that they need CPA-level services and maybe on a part-time level. So we come in and we have several service packages where we start with, we have a business startup package. So if you are an entrepreneur and you're starting your own company, you're branching off. And this probably became a passion for me as I realized all the things that I thought I knew that I didn't know when I started my own business. And so that helped me want to be able to serve other small business owners in that area. And then they can move into our contract controller where we come out and we just close the books for them and we help them make sure that the financial statements are right. We always tell them you can't make good decisions with bad information. So you've got to have good, solid 
financial information to have integrity. And then we have a financial analysis where we actually come in and help the company understand their numbers better. We do some budgeting work with them, contribution margins, and help them understand how to keep more money in their pocket. We've had a couple of really great success stories. We have two companies that we've been working with that had we not been working with them and being so proactive, I don't think they'd be here today. They really were struggling with, they're great at what they do and finance is not what they do. So we were able to help them identify some pitfalls that they were heading towards. So that is so rewarding to be able to see that happen. So those are kind of our three business line tax, planning and preparation, a test, doing audits, reviews, and compilations, and the business advisory services. Okay. That makes it easier for your staff to be more enthusiastic about what they're doing if they're helping the clients with the future of their business as opposed mm-hmm. to just reporting what happened and telling them how much money they owe or you know, checking a compliance box. <laughs> exactly. I just had this conversation with one of my young staff members who is really is going to be a really amazing technician. And she's like, got the skills. She can like get a tax return right with minimal supervision. And she asked me, Carrie, now what? I said, now here's your 1040 planning document. Now go tell the client what they could have done better. And she was like, that's going to be fun. I'm like, I know. (laughs) Sitting at a computer putting numbers is not a lot of fun. Well, for some people it is, but not for somebody who's going to be successful on my team. They're not going to be happy sitting in an office. They want to be sitting with a client. So she got really lit up about that at a second year, I was saying, well, tell me how the taxpayer can do that better. And she's like, really? Now? Me? Yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're empowering them. That's beautiful. beautiful. Try them. That's one of the core values. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to be respectful of your time. And I've got three questions I end every podcast with. But before that, there's a couple other things I want to hit on real quick. I plan to ask you this in a different way, but I'm changing it up a little bit. Given how you were talking about when you went to you know, Brown Graham initially and how you weren't sure that would be the right fit at the time and, oh, it was you know, an amazing fit, and now how you've worked so hard to make your own firm you know, work well with people's lives, what advice would you have, if any, to young professionals or people just starting their career, just getting out of college on how to find the right fit for them? personally. Any thoughts on that? Oh, wow. I think it, first of all, is understanding what's important to you. Is it important to you to have opportunities to climb a career ladder? Is it important to you to have time with your family? Is it important to you to serve your community? What are your personal core values? Personally, what makes you feel satisfied at the end of the day? And then begin to look at firms around you and look at their media presence and see if that's in alignment with what your personal core values are. You know, I think that's what it was for me with Brown Grumman Company. I knew their core values, though we didn't call it that back then, was service, service beyond self. And that's a personal core value that I have. And I think I did that right. There's a lot of things I didn't do right, but that's one of the things that I did do right. And that would be the thing that I would say. And if you get started somewhere and it's, it becomes quickly evident that it's not in alignment with your personal core value, move on. That's good advice. That's good advice. This may be hard for you because things are going so well, but I'm curious if you can go back in time and give your younger self 
just one piece of critical advice, what do you think that might be? My advice would be be open to opportunities as they present themselves and don't try to control everything because the greatest things that happened happened to me by accident. But I spent so much of my career trying to control all of the outcomes and probably missed opportunities because I was so busy trying to have it all together. (laughs) I think it's interesting that we work in a profession where you call one of the top people in the profession the controller. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think that was by accident. I don't think so. Well, that is really good advice, really good advice. Well, I do end every podcast with the same three questions. And the first one is typically the easiest for most guests. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? I think my proudest moment was when I stood in front of my team in November of 2016. And I said, hey, you guys, I think we can do this better. I want to go do something. And they all said, yes, because the message to me was, they knew how much I cared about them and that I was going to take care of them. And they wanted to be part of that. I think that was probably my proudest moment. I can imagine that. I feel like I'm in the room listening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, second question, sort of on the flip side, tell us about a mistake you made and what you learned from it, because that's what we really want. But (laughs) the bigger, the better. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, this one I remember like it was yesterday. It's probably in my second or third year at Brown Graham Company, and I was responsible for payroll for a quarry. And to say the owners of this quarry were rough individuals is being generous. They were just scary. And I, they didn't really like women much. And so I was young and, and a woman, and so I had everything against me. And I missed making one of their payroll tax deposits. <gasps> didn't even realize it until we got the notice in the mail from the IRS. And a client comes in, brings me the notice, and he says, little girl, you messed up. How are you going to fix this? And I said, I have no idea. Let me find out and I will get back to you, but we will fix it. And so I had that scary moment with a client coming in to bring to my attention this mistake that I had made. And it was, it was a few thousand dollars was the penalty. And so then I had to go to the partner in the office and tell him I had made the mistake. It took me two days to work up the courage to go into his office and tell him what I had done. And it was, it was clearly my fault. I just missed it. And I walked into Jim's office and I said, I've messed up. I need to, I need to tell you what I've done. And he said, okay, what happened? Well, I handed him the notice and he looked at it and he said, okay, we'll take care of it. We messed up. We'll write the check. Let Jimmy know we'll take care of it. And he kept the notice and he wrote a check out of firm funds to pay for those penalties that I had messed up. And the lesson that I walked away from there was as a manager or a leader or a supervisor, there's nothing I can do or say that is going to make somebody feel worse than they are, but I can give them some grace and let them know it's okay to be human. You're going to mess up. The most important thing is owning it. When you mess it up, own it, and do what you need to be done to make it right. That's a good lesson. That's good. We have a lot of people early in their career that listen to the podcast. I would suspect over half, but we have some experienced professionals too that 
listen in, and that's good for all of us. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I mean, my stomach still hurts every time I tell that story because it was such. <laughs> I think as accountants, we don't allow ourselves to make mistakes, or we really, really beat ourselves up when we do. And we're human too. It's okay. Yes. Yes. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I think the best piece of advice that I ever received was from Kay Merritt at a Bible study, which kind of seems like an odd place to get career advice. But her advice to me was, don't ever let someone shoulda on you. And by that, she expanded and she said, there are always people who will have an opinion about what you should do with your life and how you should conduct yourself. And you get to decide that. They don't. That is good. I have heard that before, but I wasn't going to cut you off. I was going to let you explain it, because if you don't know the explanation, it could go one of two ways. (laughs) Yes, it could. Yes, it could. (laughs) They're both sort of related, but yeah, the explanation is key. Yes, it is. Carrie, that is really perfect advice to end this on. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, for our audience, this has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited our website, please do so. We're going to have the show notes to Carrie's episode. And of course, we have the show notes for each and every previous episode as well. The website is whereaccountantsgo.com. We also have a new career content blog there. We have some other electronic publications and a link to our most recent book as well. And everything is on the topic of accounting careers. So you can find all that at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, Carrie, I really do appreciate your time. It's occurring to me we probably should get some, you know, like a website or something. So if people want to look up your company and find out more information about your incredible culture, they can do so. Where would we find you online? So our website is www.cdbradshaw.com. And we also have a LinkedIn site for our company. The LinkedIn site, we put a lot of really great current articles about things that you need to be aware of in the profession. And I would encourage you to follow us on LinkedIn. Thank you. No problem. Two good suggestions. Perfect. Well, thank you to the audience as well for joining us today. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.